Hello and welcome, my partners in crime. You know I always say that in the nicest possible way. Now, welcome back to part two of Charles Manson. And as I say, this is just about Charles Manson. There's three parts to this video. You need to watch part one before you watch part two, and you need to watch part one and two before you watch part three, which will be coming up after this. So anyway, let's carry on. So we've said now all about, in previous, about a little bit about how it first started off as a childhood and that we actually done an outline I suppose of Charles Manson and his crimes and stuff which he was charged with and the accessory to murder and all this sort of thing that he was charged with then we went through his childhood and now we've just got on to where he starts to now to form the Manson family so they were allowed to make you know worldwide even today if you say the Manson family or Charles Manson people assume and you know put him together with this family because he was a creation of it that was his creation really he was a cult leader without a doubt this man knew what he was doing now the core members of this group were the following including Charles Tex Watson and here's the next case coming up after this one and again there are probably about two or three on him a musician a former actor Robert Busoli a former musician and pornographic actor uh, Mary Bruner, uh, and then previously a um, librarian, Susan Atkins. Now, <laughs> Susan Atkins is another one, typical. Uh, Linda Kasabian, Patricia Kerrywinkle, uh, Krenwinkle, and Leslie Ann Halsham. They were the main members of the Manson families. There were more, a lot more, in this family, but these are the main characters, should we say, of Charles. Charles's sort of elite group of killers and stuff, should we say, the main members of it. So they sort of, this family developed into this uh, doomsday cult and I think that's the only way you can really describe them. They were obsessed and at that time there was lots of different theories and stuff going on about this, that and the other and it, this sort of played into their hands as well. So Manson became fixated actually on the idea of this intimate public race between, you know, the black American population and the larger white population. This white supremacy, and he was a white supremacist. Manson believed that black people in America would rise up and kill the whites, except for Manson and his family. But um, <laughs> as they were all, <laughs> um, actually, but they were not intelligent enough to survive on their own and would need a white man, my God, to lead them so they would um, serve Manson as their master. Now, this is what he was preaching. This is what he, I don't think he believed this, to tell the truth, because as I said before, in his earlier days, when he was this mm -hmm. youngster being abused in this, you know, terrible place, institution. He would use insanity, wouldn't he? He knew this manipulation. This is how I'm saying to you. He understood people's fears and he took them fears and he changed them into something that he can manipulate and use. Now, um, I, don't, I don't actually believe he believed it, to tell the truth. I think he wanted it that way. I think Charles Manson wanted that. That's what he believed he wanted, to be this master over people, to be feared, to be, you know, 
and that's what he wanted. So in late night, I think in late 1968, Manson adopted the term helter skelter. And again, again, the terminology is used in here, which is not always correct, because there's theories about this and that. So this is other people's theories as well as certain things that these members have said. But really, um, and you know, it did come from the song The Beatles and was released on the White Album, wasn't it? And referred to as this up and coming war. Now in early 1969, Manson encouraged his followers to start Helter Skelter by committing Helter Skelter by committing murders in Los Angeles, making it appear racially, racially motivated. Um, I don't know. I mean he went for for white people, yeah, but I think as I said to you before, I think this is more about revenge with him. These people were chosen because of his own revenge on the way he had been treated all his life. And then in the, the run up to them, you know, with the Beach Boys and Dennis Wilson and all these others, you know, not um, neglecting him really, but really discarding him because they had to. They had to. They couldn't keep up with his madness, I don't think. So listen, they gained, didn't they, you know, national notoriety for the murder of actress Sharon Tate and the other four others in her home on the 8th and 9th of August in 1969 and Lee, uh, Leno and Rosemary uh, Blanca on actually the next day. So text Watson and three other members of that family executed the Tates, the Biancas murders allegedly acting under Manson's instructions. Now I can believe that. I can believe that, um, but I, what I can't understand, and, and when we go into Texas case in a, you know, a couple of videos along, you will see that really, um, can you manipulate someone that much to do this sort of crimes with this intensity is what he did. He actually enjoyed that kill, but anyway, that's more for the next one. So evidence pointed to Manson's obsession with enacting you know, this race war and by killing those that he thought were pigs and that he believed that would suit, um, would show that, and I'm not going to say the N-word, would do the same, right? So this in his mind or their mind, what he's trying to say is you kill them and make it look like someone uh, black who's done it. Uh, you know, it's just madness really and a lot of people lost their lives I think because of Manson's just um, envy, control, he wanted power, he wanted to be famous, he's you know revenge on other people, none of these people didn't even know, didn't even know him that he was attacking and the other people was on his list actually um, didn't really know him. So there's a lot going on now. These family members are also responsible for other assaults, thefts, crimes, attempted assassinations of President Gerald Ford in Sacramento and Lynette Squeech, uh, Squeaky and sorry in Sacramento by Lynette Squeaky um, Farone. Now there's a lot in this case because there's a lot of people in this case, and this man had a lot of influence over lots of different people whether it looked like he did or not. So listen, why often he thought that Manson never murdered or attempted to murder anyone else himself. True crime writer James Buddy Day, in his book, The Hippie Cult Leader, the last words of Charles Manson claimed that Manson's short drug dealer, 
um, shot drug dealer, sorry, Bernard Crow on the 1st of July 1969, and Crow survived. Well, you know, you're talking about Charles Manson, Manson, the cult leader, the last words of Charles Manson. Manson didn't tell the truth and done his life. He didn't, he told you what he wanted you to hear. Listen, the FBI actually, at some point, interviewed him because they wanted to find out, you know, when we look at the profile or, you know, I think, what's it called? Um, uh, it's in something, something about the mind of a murderer or something like that, which the FBI did go to visit Charles Manson in prison. And this is an official thing to find out because they wanted to, you know, um, find out how these sort of people worked what other crimes they may have done, what other, how they can catch people really when they're looking at profiling, okay? And they actually said, um, this is one, one of actually the, the top ones that's called many, many people actually and use their profiling even today. This is this early profiling unit that was designed by the FBI. Now, they did interview him and they, they, he was just an idiot. And they said, you know, really, it's all an act with Manson. It really is. You know, he's quite a small man. Um, he wanted to be in control. Um, he didn't really have a lot to say, not anything that would have helped these. And I think he felt that he couldn't manipulate them, so they weren't worth talking to. And um, I think with that, it sort of shows, really, when you look at the FBI and how they profile, where if they weren't interested in Charles Manson, then there's nothing really about Charles Manson when it comes to serial killers or real murderers that they could learn anything from because if they weren't interested in him, no one else would be. And I think that's really what happened. I think he stole one of their pens and then started saying sort of different things as he went back to his cell. He was a liar. He was an absolute liar. That's how he got through life. That's how he manipulated and got these people to do what he could do. But he couldn't do it with the FBI. Anyway, so that was another one with Charles Manson that the FBI weren't really bothered with. So anyway, the state of California tried Manson as uh, for the Tate and the rank of murder, murders with co-defendants Leslie Ann Houghton, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, uh, and co-defendant Tex Watson was also tried at a later date after being um, extradited back from Texas. So the trial began on the 15th of July 2007, no, 1970, and Manson appeared wearing a fringed buckskin, um, literally, and typical clothing of um, the ranch where they were at, Spalm Ranch where they were at. So on July 24th, 1970, um, the first day of the testimony, Manson appeared in court with this X carved on his head, as I said to you before. The followers then issued a statement saying, Manson's saying, I have an X marked myself um, for your world. So he's X'd myself from your world. That means he's took himself out of the world. The following day, the Manson co-defendants, Van Helton, Atkins and Krenwinkel also appeared in court with this X carved into their forehead. This is what I was saying earlier. This then gave the prosecution's case really life because then the jury realized that whatever Manson was doing these would do and so 
this conspiracy then really became at the forefront because whatever now that the prosecution said about Manson, this jury was going to believe. Plus then, Manson actually, you know, uh, tried to attack the judge and things, so that that would be coming up in a minute. So Manson and the Manson family, they camped outside uh, the court uh, all the time. Uh, he was there uh, on this vigil on the street corners and literally <coughs> they had to be excluded actually from the court. That's why they were out on the sidewalk because they were so disruptive in this court you couldn't shut them up. And so Man some Manson's followers also carved this X into their heads uh, to show solidarity with him. They also said they were going to kill themselves, this, that and the other. And there, though, during the trial, members of the Manson peer, peer, uh, appeared in saffron robes, <laughs> saffron robes, and threatening to kill themselves in sacrifice. They want to sacrifice themselves for him. No one did it, and I don't think anyone actually tried to stop them, but no one did do it. But this then did build this case. It actually won this case for the prosecution. They must have been rubbing their hands together because, one, this case would have been very hard to win without that happening. Because in those days, as I said, you know, he actually hadn't killed anybody. He was only there because they tried to say it was because of him they'd done it. And then by them following and doing all this stuff, it made it actually true then really, didn't it? That if they do that sort of thing, shave their heads, you know, carve a cross into their heads, want to sacrifice themselves for someone, their leader, then obviously it's a cult and that means that he is then liable for anything they do. And that's how, really, he got it. So anyway, they, they, the, the state presented like dozens of witnesses, I think, at this trial. Um, however, the primary witness was Linda Kasabian, who was present during the Tate murders on the 8th and 9th of 1969, the 8th and 9th of August 1969. Kasabian provided graphic testimony of the, state, um, of the Tate murders, which she observed from outside the house. She was also in the car with Manson on the following evening when he ordered the, the Bianca's killings as well. Kasabian spent days on the witness stand being cross-examined by the defendant's lawyers. After testifying, Kasabian went into hiding for the next 40 years. 40 years she went into hiding for. In the early 1970, President Robert, uh, Richard Nixon told reporters that he believed Manson was guilty of the murders, either directly or indirectly. Manson obtained a copy of the newspaper and held it up to the jury, the defendants and the attorneys, and called for a mistrial, arguing that his client has allegedly killed fewer, far fewer people than Nixon's war machine in Vietnam. So this, you can imagine, can't you, this courtroom, this would have been in uproar, this, this courtroom, really, of what was going on here. So Judge Charles H. Older, polled um, each member of the jury to determine whether the jury saw the headline and whether it was affecting their ability to make an independent decision. All the jurors affirmed that, this, uh, that they could still decide independently from that. Shortly after, the female defendant, Atkins, um, Krenwinkel and Van Helsen were removed from the court for chanting Nixon says we are guilty, so why go on? 
and they kept chanting that all the way through and did have to be removed. So on the 5th of October 1970, Manson attempted to attack the judge. I know he did try and attack the judge. While um, the judge, um, uh, Judge Alger, he tried to attack him while the jury was present in the room. So again, now listen, you've got someone, you know, by this stage, um, who loves prison, by all accounts anyway. He's done 34 years at this point in and out of prison. So he had no problem in going back. Now, Manson first threatened um, Alder and then he jumped actually over his lawyer's table, um, then with a sharpened pencil in the direction of Alder, Manson was restrained from reaching the judge. Now, this judge, um, you know, was, of course everyone was let out the thing and Manson was screaming at Alder, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, someone should cut your head off. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the female defendants began, began chanting something again in Latin. Judge Alder then began wearing a 38 caliber pistol to every trial afterwards. So they were worried, right? You know, they're worried because of one they could see of the influence that Charles Manson had over these people. But they didn't know how many more Charles Manson had influence over. And actually until this day, Charles Manson still is for some a cult leader and has, he has influence over them until this day. So anyway, Manson's testimony, right, immediately after the defendant's counsel rested their case, the three female de de uh, defendants shouted that they wanted to testify. Their attorneys advised the court in chambers that they um, opposed to their client's testimony. Because, you know, I think in this country, you know, if you're going to incriminate yourself, then you wouldn't advise them to do it. But I think, listen, by their actions and everything else, at this point, these were guilty anyway. So apparently the female defendant wanted to testify that Manson had nothing to do with the murders. That's all they wanted to say. They wasn't there to defend their self. They was there to defend Manson. That was it. You know, <laughs> that was all they wanted to do. It was never anything about them. Uh, the following day, Manson himself announced that he too wanted to testify and the judge allowed Manson to testify outside the presence of the jury because he's, you know, he's, he's quite a dangerous man. If you're going to try and attack the judge, then, you know, you, you, you're mad, really, especially in America because they've got guns and everything, haven't they? So listen, his statement was as, you know, as follows. And it's, I think it's really interesting what he says actually in his statement. So he stated as follows. These children that come at you with knives, they are your children. You taught them, I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. Most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you didn't want. Manson continued, acquitting his actions, equating, sorry, his actions to those of society at large. I know this, that in your hearts and in your souls, you are as much responsible for the Vietnam War as I am for killing these people.
I can't judge any of you. I have no malice against you. No, and no ribbons for you. But I think that it's high time that you all start looking at yourselves and judging the lies that you live in. Manson concluded, claiming that he too was a creation of the system, that he viewed as fundamentally violent and unjust. My father, he says, is the jailhouse. My father is your system. I am only what you made me. I am only a reflection of you. You want to kill me. Hey, I'm already dead. I have been all my life. I have spent 23 years in tombs that you have built. After Manson finished speaking, the judge, Alder, offered to let him testify before the jury. Manson replied, that's not necessary. Manson was then told his female descendants that they no longer needed to testify. On November the 30th, uh, 1970, Leslie Van Housen, attorney, Ronald Hughes failed to appear um, for the closing arguments at trial. He was later found dead in a California state park. His body had been badly decomposed and it was impossible to tell the cause of death. Hughes had disagreed with Manson during the trial, taking the position that his client Van Houten should not testify to claim that Manson had no involvement in the murders. Some have alleged that Hughes may have been murdered by the Manson family. On the 25th of January 1971, the jury found Manson, Kerry Winkle, Atkins guilty of first degree murder in all seven of the Tate and Levanka's killings. The jury found Van Houten guilty of murder in the first degree in the Levanka killings. Sentencing after the convictions of the court heard held that a separate hearing before the same jury to determine if the defendant should receive the death penalty. Each of the three female defendants, Atkins, Van Helton and Krenwinkel, took the stand. They provided graphic details of the murder and testified that Manson was not involved. According to the female defendants, they had committed the crime in order to help and help follow Manson family murder Bobby Belushi get out of jail where he had been held for the murder of Gary Hinman. The female defendants testified that in the, the Bianca murders were intended to be copycat crimes similar to the um, Hinman killing. Atkins, Kerrywinkle and Van how Hilton claimed that they did under the direction of the state prime witness Linda Kasabian. The defendants did not express remorse for the killings at all. On the 4th of March 1971, during the sentence hearing, Manson trimmed his beard to a fork, shaved his head, telling the media, I am the devil, and the devil is always bald head. However, the female defendants did not immediately shave their heads at all. The state prosecution said, later speculated in his book, Held to Skelter, 
that they refrain from doing so in order not to appear to completely be controlled by Manson, as they had on um, each of them when they um, put the X on their head their forehead at that trial, so on March the 29th, 1971, the jury sentenced all four defendants to death. When the female defendants were led to the courtroom, uh, each of them had shaved their head, um, as had Manson. After the hearing sentence, Atkins shouted to the jury, Bessa, lock your doors and watch your kids. Now, when I do Atkinson's case, so I'm going to do a few of the girls together, but she's the main one. This girl, mm, she's not good, this one. Um, yeah, she's sort of, uh, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, then you'll find out more about her when I do the case on her. But yeah, so um, I can imagine her saying that, and would also, she could, she would uh, get the chance she would have actually done something to them people and their children. Anyway, the Manson murder trials was the longest trial, murder trial in American history when it occurred, uh, lasting nine and a half months. The trial was amongst the most publicized American criminal case of the 20th century and was dubbed the trial of the century, which it probably was and it still holds today. I think when you look at this trial and you're studying law, you're looking at the different you know, techniques they used in this trial to get him and, and stuff, you know, for these sort of laws that they were trying to bring in and, and do this stuff at that time. So even today, you know, I think this case is still relevant and still means something um, because of the, the characters in it and, and the way things were done. Anyway, the jury had been uh, sequestered for about 225 days longer than any other jury before. The trial transcripts alone ran at 209 volumes, 31,716 pages long. So, into part two. What is the next part going to bring us? So, with the next one, we're gonna talk about Charles Manson in the last stages of his life also flip back and forward between certain things that he's done. So, part two, part three coming up. Are you ready? So, thank you for watching. You know what to do. Da, 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 da. Subscribe in there. Got my bell. <laughs> Good morning bell. Anyway, thank you for watching. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thumbs up. Leave your comments. Do what you have to do. Thank you and speak to you very, very shortly for part three.